Is it identifying need or labeling children through a deficit model? Find out. A new episode of The Wheelhouse begins right now. We're back. Welcome to Season 6 of The Wheelhouse. I'm your host, Dr. Grant Chandler, founder and CEO of Students Matter. In Season 6, I am once again delighted to host a roundtable discussion with two of my favorite leaders in education, two of my favorite humans, Penny Brockway and Catherine Money. We are focused on one of the foundational components of our framework, accomplishment-driven leadership. In season three, I explored the five arenas of accomplishment-driven leadership, how to plot a growth trajectory, and then how to use those arenas to do what matters most, serve our students by growing our people. In season four, when we began the roundtable and Kathy and Penny joined me, we continued exploring ADL, thinking about the paradigm shifts we need to make on our journey to become accomplishment-driven leaders. In our last season, season five, we explored this new destination, how to talk about it, how to think about it, and how to bring your team with you as you depart on this journey. And now we've arrived at season six, we're going to use our thinking as accomplishment-driven leaders to tear apart one of the most damaging aspects of the status quo, looking at everything, doing everything through a deficit lens. In fact, it's so destructive, I think it's driving people in droves to go find a new line of work. Together, let's tear it apart, learn to think through the great work we must all do, but shift it away from deficit thinking. What does that look like? Stay tuned. Join us and take a listen. At Students Matter, we believe it's our priority as educators to prove to each student and each educator that they are distinctive and irreplaceable. Together, let's continue to step up to this incredibly important challenge and add additional tools and skills right into our wheelhouse. Good morning and welcome to the wheelhouse. We are recording today in the middle of all those winter storms that are hitting the country everywhere. I believe it's five degrees where when I looked out this morning, it's just really, really cold. Hello, Kathy Money and Penny Brockway. Welcome to the wheelhouse once again. Good morning. morning. It is quite chilly. Yeah, we did. We were like right in sync there, Penny. Yeah, yeah, That that's a good forecast for what's to come in this conversation. Did you get that little uh, through that forecast in there? It's like, you know, come on, laugh. (laughs) She has to tell us directly what we're that is even going to survive the edits. That's probably real. Because I think I'm so funny. You've got to get my humor in there. (laughs) You are funny. You are funny. Well, I cracked myself up anyway. Uh Uh-huh. It's a good thing this early in the morning. (laughs) Okay, so if you found Kathy Money funny already this morning, please send me an email and let me know. (laughs) Please, please let me like just confirm my, you know, my own thoughts. At least one person, one person. (laughs) I will let her know how many people responded and said, oh my God, she's hilarious. (laughs) Please. (laughs) And I forecast it will be many. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at you. See, uh, you're using my joke. <laughs> I am. I stole it. It wasn't funny the second time around, but it sure was the first time. Well, good morning, my friends. You know, in our last episode, we spent a lot of time talking about um, looking at adults, right? This 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 propensity we have of looking at adults through a deficit lens. And we talked a lot about that teacher to administrator, administrator to teacher is a great, absolutely a great episode. So if you haven't listened to episode 605, I strongly suggest that you take a listen to it because it was, it was fantastic. Um, But today I want to, I want to tackle the other, the other deficit that we do with people. and, And that is even worse even worse than what we do to adults. We do, and we tend to look not on purpose. Nobody does it on purpose. Nobody's trying to be evil, right? But we tend to, in this industry of ours, we tend to sometimes, or a lot of times, look at children through a deficit lens as well. And so when we think about what accomplishment-driven leaders do and what it is they're trying to change and how difficult sometimes those changes are. One of the things that we've got to stop doing, besides looking at our colleagues through a deficit lens, is first and foremost, stop looking at our kids through that lens as well. I mean, it, this one hits the 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 gut and the heart for me, you know, which I'm sure it will for a lot of a lot of people, and I know it does for the two of you. Because it's, if we really think about as students enter the pre-K-12 system in um, right from the the onset, we start to label and sort and um, look at kids in a way that we label them, we put these these images on them, um, almost, you know, this these different clo- clothing, like, okay, you're you're going to be here in kindergarten for two years. You're going to need this. Oh, this one's not had any preschool. So we've got to do, I mean, so many different ways that we start to sort and shift and, and label our kids. And then that, that tends to carry through with them. They never, never seem to lose it. No, the labels change. The identifiers change, but the thought, right. Or the, the underlying concept remains the same. And the where the label comes from, right? Like in compared to what do we place a label on a child? Like what's the perfect? Where did we get the, you know, the picture perfect that we're then accordingly labeling all others up against? I don't I think that's a really hard thing for me to think about because I agree with you, Kathy. The first thing I was going to say is this is heartbreaking and it's self-reflective for me alone, right? Because I have done it over and over and over and over thinking something is wrong, deficit, always first, right? When what if that's the actual giftedness and I'm totally missing it because of my mental model? I, I don't. Or does it even have to be giftedness? It's just that they're each different. And I don't know what we figured was the easy one or the right one or the perfect one that made it this to be the norm. And here's everything outside of that. I don't know how we ever came up with that. 
So I'm sure there, you know, there are people saying, well, you know, we have to talk about, we have to talk about what kids have, what kids don't have. We're, we're, we're not labeling them. We're not, we're not looking at them from a deficit. We're, we're trying to figure out and talk about what they need, right? What they need. And I'm going to say, nah, <laughs> yes, to a, to a little degree, we do that. But then the problem is what, what are, what are, what are the range of emotions and thoughts that come with that? Let's just start in kindergarten, right? For the sake of an example. Okay. We got kids that don't come to, that don't start school in kindergarten knowing their letters. Okay. Why don't we just accept that as reality? There will be children who will come to school, who will know their letters, who can sing the alphabet. And, you know, there are kids who come to school as kindergartners who can read. And then there are kids who come to school as kindergartners ready for an amazing 13-year educational experience who, for whatever reason that is no fault of theirs, don't know their letters. Yep. What's the... What's the difference between identifying a need and labeling a kid from a deficit model? I think it's the the human factor. I mean, we keep coming back to this. So I think it's it is vitally important that we understand each and every human, these tiny little humans that we're responsible for and what they know and understand and what they don't so that I can teach them. So I don't, I think it is important. And I think that's a difference in in how you approach it. So I, I need to know and understand each and every student. So what they know academically, what they, um, what their home lives look like. I mean, all of those pieces help me understand this person. And then that allows me to build that relationship with them, look at those areas in which I their, their strengths and those opportunities and how to utilize those things to be able to build on them to create these learning opportunities socially, academically, emotionally, all of these different pieces I have to know it. It's how I then use it, how I view it, how I talk about it, how I understand that this human comes first and this human has strengths and opportunities, not deficits. Yeah, not putting a label on them that demands that they look like, act like, behave like respond academically like, intellectually like everybody else or whatever this perfect image is we have in our head of what a kindergartner is supposed to be. So that's a really different way of approaching it um, from what you say verbally to what clearly is on your heart and in your mind. Um, I think that's the biggest difference. Um, It's not that we don't recognize that there's strengths in every child. Um, do we pull those out and honor those with a label that helps that child move forward? <laughs> no, we never do that. <laughs> yeah, and you can't ignore what those opportunities are. I mean, because then, I mean, 
scream malpractice. <laughs> we we have to look at what each student needs. So if we have a student with an IEP, it's our job to know and understand what those opportunities are and how do I craft my my the learning so that, that students able to engage and take that on. And the difference is how we approach, how we speak about that child. So it's a a student with an IEP, not a special needs child. You know, that language then drives how we interact with the adults that we're working with so that we can support each each and every student and how we approach each student. So you think about, I'm thinking about that student entering kindergarten uh, it's fast forward to sixth grade. So the the difference in that student's learning experience in those those years is going to then lead into how they engage in their learning as a sixth grader. So if I'm if I'm taught as a child in that deficit lens, I'm going to view myself in that deficit lens. And then getting the further on I go, the more the easier it is for me to just disengage. Why would I be want to be around all of these adults that look at me like I'm this problem that they've got to fix? Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to ninth grade. I mean, we we perpetuate not again, like Grant started with, we don't do it maliciously. We don't do it on purpose. I think it's how we're programmed and what we're used to being around as educators and really not understanding what ultimately that does to that psyche of that that human <laughs> and then that what that means as that child makes decisions to just say forget it i'm done with people just looking at me like i'm a problem versus looking at me and supporting me as a human with opportunities i'm going to i'm going to ultimately approach education in a very different way it makes me think about defining the child being defined within a system versus within a place of belonging where they are mm-hmm. a part of right because every single every single plan we have for how to support a child right if it is couched in the sense of this child belongs in this community in this family in this whatever you call your classroom or your group of kids right it it this child belongs in this family of learners here and how do we embrace their strengths for the for the goal of the family which is that everyone belongs and that everyone has a voice and that everyone grows. I mean, so then every single child's strengths being incorporated and embraced and brought into that setting, that's what you miss when you put them in a system where they're labeled and they're constantly being sent to and from, and they're never they never have that same sense of belonging um, compared to a child who doesn't have to do that. And why did they not have to do that? Is there not a program to meet their special needs? I mean, I just don't understand how some don't have a special need <laughs> and how um, and how damaging that is. That I understand, right? How damaging that is to a child. And that's what I heard you speak into as well. So let's call it what it is for a moment. I'm going to be gentle. Let's call it what it is, right? We these labels that we use to look 
at children through, right? Behavior kids, trauma kids, sped kids, right? Tier two kids, tier three kids. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Looking at a child or an adult, but today we're talking about children, right? Looking at someone from a deficit model is a form of judgment, right? And we tend to judge certain types of people differently than other types of people. So I have to wonder, right? What do some of these kids look like? What do some of these kids, how do some of these children identify themselves, right? Um, where, where in town do they live? Right. Are, are, are these the free and reduced lunch kids <laughs> that don't know their letters? Of course they are. Right. So with all of that comes, you know, this, this judgment piece is, is really ugly. Right. Again, we don't intend it. I think we're I think we're taught how to do it actually. I think somewhere somewhere along the line indiscriminately we're we're taught how to discriminate and how how to cast how to cast judgment um but I I I think we have to recognize that you know there's a lot of research out there you know including Osterman who said you know what we complain about the families and we say children are wounded by you know are, are wounded by by the families that you know that they that they live with and grow up with she found that the level of woundedness is actually even bigger in schools than it is in their own families even those families that are challenging right that are challenging what does that i mean isn't it shouldn't School be a place where they are nurtured, not damaged. Yeah, it immediately. I mean, again, starting at the, how we started this conversation, this um, feeling it in the heart and in the gut, you know, and and thinking about my experiences in in the classroom in particular. So way back in you know the early early days, long long ago. I was in the classroom. Early, early how, days, 2017. Just kidding. <laughs> Long before that. Um, <laughs> how how judgmental I was. And I um thinking that I I I brought a lot of my own experiences to the table so that I I understood. I understood what it meant to to live in poverty. I understood what it meant to live in in a home with addiction and abuse. And so therefore I I had it all figured out, right? So I had those those experiences and um yet I I judged you when a when a child that had ADHD didn't have their medication and how dare those parents not not make sure that that child have that medication because all of these pieces um it really was it com- completely shattered my thinking my understanding when our family uh, opened our home to to students that were in foster care 
And so navigating a state system with a child and trying to figure out how to get the basic needs met, medication, dental work, all of those things that uh, I, as a white middle-class parent, had to struggle to get their needs met. And thinking that, how dare I? How I? How dare I even begin to have understood what was going on in these families and cast this kind of judgment on people and therefore judgment on kids who have no control over what's going on and, and what, what's happening with the adults around them. And I think that our experiences allow us to, to open our hearts and our minds but they also can allow us to close our hearts and our minds. And so what is what does that really mean in thinking about as accomplishment-driven leaders and going back to Penny saying that sense of belonging? And what is how do we truly do that in a way that honors every human being and thinking we don't have it all figured out, no matter what our experiences are, oh. and and how to really understand and open our eyes and our hearts to to the humans that we're entrusted with. Yes, and it so goes back to last week's conversation and the deficit model on adults, right? And I just because each of us brings to the table uh, that model from the society within which we have grown up. I mean, I'm, we, it, it is a battle internally, um, heart and mind, as we said from the get-go of this conversation, um, for every single person, at least those living in the United States. It's a battle because we do that all the time. I can't think of a system that isn't judgmental in that way. It's it's human nature, right? So when I think about the teachers that I have witnessed who maybe it's not 100% of the time, but man, have they created a a culture and a a space of belonging and acceptance and love and care. They are fighting against the grain within them as well as the societal grain outside of them, right? They are pushing against the, pushing against the grain, no, no doubt. And that's intentional. That has to be super, super intentional to be able to um, generate that type of space where every child does belong and feels that, um, no matter what the system on the outside is doing to them, right? And coming at it with that lens is far less exhausting. So you think about educators being burnout, all of these, well, if I... If I'm approaching every every day and every child that comes into my space as a problem, as you know, all of these different factors that Grant had listed earlier, then I'm I'm already exhausted coming in the door. I'm already in my car crying because I can't face it yet again. Versus, I know that this stuff is going on in these opportunities that stu- that these humans, these students have, um, it's just a different level of being energized, not saying that it's not exhausting, but you do it in a, vi- you approach it in a very different way versus coming in already defeated because well, I, I have all say, of these Kathy, problems. It's, it's fulfilling, right? Yes. 
because you're pouring into the human spirit mm-hmm. in a positive way that that empowers them, enables them, whatever word you want to use, none of them work well, but but grows that spirit into what it's intended to be as compared to fighting against it all day long. Uh, the work is the work and it's the amount of time no matter what, but the heart within which you're coming at it to fight or to embrace and encourage and grow, woof, no doubt which one's more exhausting. And so we come to think about we come to think about what is what is the real purpose of education and why why do we exist and here is the shameless commercial right the shameless commercial you know and that is that you know season 7 of the wheelhouse i'm super excited to say never usually talk about the next season but season 7 we're going to do we're going to talk about powerful student care for the entire season. Mm-hmm. I'm inviting my friends, Kathy and Penny, uh, to continue their roundtable discussion on, on that. And I'm going to invite some other folks to join us uh, from all over the country who are who are doing, trying to do, trying to do this work and try and try and coming to understand that this whole concept of shattering the deficit model, right? And extending this thing called powerful student care is in fact the first the very first step right to to educating children whether we educate them in in a brick and mortar situation or we educate them in an online virtual environment i ask i ask this question a, a lot you know um and and it annoys people right so but it's my show so i get to i get to ask it right and i say you know is a child safe in any sense of the word, if we put them in a classroom or in a school, right, where they are not nurtured, where people are going to cast judgment about their abilities, right, for whatever label, right, whatever label, right, you know, we can use children of color. Are children of color safe if we put them in a, in a classroom with a white person who believes negative things? about children of color. Why do we do that? Right? Because we're putting children in a place, you know, they're already vulnerable and now we put right and that's just an example for just an example, right? Are are we putting them so I often say, you know, I mean we can we can talk about physical safety and that's really really important, but so is social emotional safety and so is who we're putting them with. And the degree to which those students are living under a deficit model every single day. And so I'm watching the time, right? And so um I'm gonna I'm gonna have the last word this time, right? And and I and I said this, I think I used this this story when I met Penny and I met Kathy a long time ago. They've heard this forever, right? My goal for education is that that student who starts the school year late who ends up in the second grade classroom that already has 35 students in it, and now there's one more, my goal, what I hope for someday, is that when that teacher gets the 36th kid who doesn't know their letters, (laughs) who can't read, what I hope will happen is that that teacher will call that parent or grandparent or whomever and say, hey, so glad 
your student is in my room and I want you to worry about nothing because I'm going to make sure that at the end of the year, your child is a reader. I got it. I got it. That's the label that I want to see happen for our children, right? Stay tuned for our next episode next week of The Wheelhouse. We'll have a couple more conversations about this deficit model. I think next week we're going to talk about how we slap programs at deficits, right? Let's plug the dam. And we're going to plug the dam with a program. And then coming soon on a timeline yet to be developed, season seven, all about powerful student care. Make it a great week. Thanks for joining us in the wheelhouse. And that, my friends, wraps up another episode of The Wheelhouse. New episodes of Season 6 drop every Tuesday beginning November 14th and running through the end of January 2024. Throughout the holidays, we'll take a break here and there. After all, we got to go help Santa. The Wheelhouse is a production of Students Matter, LLC. Our show's theme music, Off We Go, was written and performed by Cody Martin and obtained through Soundstripe.com. If you'd like to explore this topic further and take our online series of four courses, Exploring Accomplishment-Driven Leadership, or if you have something you'd like to share or a leadership problem you'd just like to see us address, drop us a line at registrar at ourstudentsmatter.org. You can find me on Mastodon and, of course, stop by our website and check out what we offer at www.ourstudentsmatter.org. You can subscribe to this podcast on either iTunes or Spotify, and it can also be found on our website at Captivate, https colon forward slash forward slash the dash wheelhouse dot captivate dot fm forward slash episodes. If you like our show, please leave us a review. I'd love to hear what you like. Together, our goal is to continuously enhance and utilize our arenas of accomplishment-driven leadership proving to each student and each teacher that they are both distinctive and irreplaceable is hard work. But being an educator is the noblest of all professions. Until next time, remember, we got this. 